0: Welcome to Newborn to Teen and Everything in Between, the podcast from Bespoke Family.
1: I'm Bex. And I'm Claire. Thanks for joining us as we tackle the ups and downs of life with children, helping you to get the best out of your time together. No rules, no judgment, just guidance. So grab a cuppa and let's get started with today's episode.
0: Hi and welcome to today's podcast Um, Today we are delighted to be joined by Louise Hurst Lou, doula Lou actually And she's going to tell you a little bit more about that in a minute But we just, um, first of all Louise, welcome Thank you To our humble podcast (laughs) It's lovely to have you here Um, And can you just maybe start by telling us a little bit about you What your background is and obviously what you're doing now Yeah, sure. Thank you
2: very much for inviting me on this amazing podcast. Um, See, I'm Lou. I'm based in Warwickshire um, and I'm a mum of two. Um, George is nine and Neve is seven. Um, And I originally trained uh, back in 2004 at Norland College, uh, graduating in 2007. Um, And I went on to be a nanny for eight years in London, caring for twins, triplets. Um, children of lots of different ages um, and my final job when I was pregnant uh, was a shared care role well it was a nanny share so I had sole charge of four children um, not really sure what I was thinking at the time but um, um, it was absolutely fantastic and I really sort of felt like I'd kind of hit hit the jackpot really and sort of really made it in terms of my and career You know, I thought, right, if I can manage four children, the the world is my oyster. Um, So I did that for 18 months and then, as I say, ended up going on maternity leave. Um, And I really wanted to make sure that my children had the same care and love and attention as all those children that I'd looked after myself um, as a nanny. And um, so I decided that I wanted to be a stay-at-home mum for as long as possible um, so, uh, I waited until all, of, both of the children had gone to full-time school. Um, and being completely honest, really lost my identity because, you know, my idea was be a nanny, um, and then be a stay-at-home mum and care for my family. And then they went to school and I just, yeah, I've, I've really lost my identity. Um, and quickly recognized that I needed something, for me, and I needed something to um, get my teeth stuck into, get my brain ticking over, and something that would build my confidence up again. And I knew that if I left it too long, uh, it would be a very slippery slope. So when I basically came out of Norland, I looked at being. Um, so when I was in my second year at Norland, I looked at being a doula, and, and maybe could I do that for my probationary year? Um, and I rang the doula, doula UK and spoke to a lovely doula, and she said. Um, you know, it sounds like you'd have the amazing, you know, the qualities and the amazing experience to be a doula, but you haven't had children yourself. Um, so I was gutted, but I thought, okay, I'm going to have to get some more experience under my belt as a nanny, um, try and work with lots, as many babies as I possibly can, um, and maybe look at that in the future. Uh, I didn't really feel like maternity nursing was for me, and, you know, I think really to sort of have a successful probationary year, nannying was the right route, um, so I, the, the seed had always been planted about being a doula. And so my husband and I looked into it as sort of an option. And bless him, he paid for me. I had like zero money at this time, obviously, you know, raising this, the children for those six years. then um, was, you know, keeping us afloat kind of thing. So he paid for me to do this doula course, bless him. Um, and it was absolutely fantastic. I just found immediately that I... would found a group of real like-minded people um, and something that just reignited my passion. Um, And it's funny because the head of lecturing at the time at Norland said to me, um, who I'm still in contact with now, but she said she still remembers having a conversation with me at Norland about how um, all I want to do is work with babies. So I did the doula course and I trained to be a birth and a postnatal doula, but quickly realized I wasn't completely over my own birth. Um, experiences and so probably at that stage I felt I couldn't partic- uh, couldn't support uh, families in the birthing environment if I wasn't completely over my own experience so and that's something I definitely think about in the future but yeah and so did the course decided I definitely you can focus on on one or both and so I decided to focus just on postnatal and then you work with five different families and and sort of do case studies on them and you report back to a mentor. And then when she feels that you're ready, you then go off and you're recognized and you're kind of a fully fledged doula. So I ended up um, becoming recognized in November 2000, uh, 2021. And yeah, I've never looked back and it's, it, it's brilliant. It fits really well into my, you know, and into home life because I can pick and choose what hours I take, work that around my husband who works in London. And it's just such a lovely job. It, 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 it's a real privilege. It is a real privilege.
1: So how long was the training to be a doula?
2: So the whole course from memory was only about six weeks. It was over lockdown. So it was a Zoom. From memory, it was about a three-hour session every sort of Tuesday night um, for about six weeks. Um, and then you'd, ha- you'd have real support all along the way. You know, the, the company that I chose to train with, you, there was always someone there if you had any questions or concerns or anything. And then you did some coursework at the end. Um, and as I say, and then once you've passed all that, you then have to find a mentor who is a really experienced doula, who sort of is your doula, really. And I still, I still call her my mommy doula. Um, and I still contact her all the time with thoughts and worries and questions. And she is absolutely amazing. And she's absolutely spurred me on to, to do this job because I, f- I can see the benefits of having her. And I think, well, that's how you know, a new mum will feel. So yeah, I've learned so many different skills from her. So it's a really valuable thing to do.
0: Well, so two questions from me. First of all, so I didn't realise that you had to have your own children to be a doula. Is that the? So now it's not. So
2: when I contacted them back in two thousand and five, that was the thing. You 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 had to have your own children now that isn't the case no you you don't have
0: to so so do you want to explain to people that don't know and i think i'm probably one of them i think i've got a vague idea but what is a doula what do you do
2: okay so there's two different types of doula there's birth a birth doula and a postnatal doula so a birth doula um will will meet you from the minute you find out you're pregnant if you wish some people don't meet their birth doula until sort of their six months plus and they're starting to feel a bit panicky and they're struggling to navigate the maternity system and they want some help. But essentially, yeah, you'd meet your birth doula when you're pregnant. They attend appointments with you, listen to any worries or concerns you have. And they're really your cheerleader. Um, so they'll, yeah, they'll attend appointments. And if you, you don't understand anything, they'll sort of try their best to explain things more simply. But also if... Um, they're unsure. They know where to go and seek information that maybe challenges what the health system has told this, their client. That the the client might not necessarily feel that's a route they want to go down, even though a consultant say has, has told them that they need to. They strongly suggest they take one route. They might not feel that that's for them, and so it's then exploring with their doula. Are there any other options? Let's look. Let's research together. So that with the, the goal being that um, not necessarily that the client has the birth that they, you know, their dream birth, it's not so much about that, because we all know things happen and things can change. But it's more about um, coming out of that birth, feeling like you were supported, listened to, heard, and, you know, you, you don't feel it by you know by anything um, and you felt fully informed and you were confident that the step you took at each stage was the right one for you and your baby and your family I'm a postnatal doula a postnatal doula um, tends to come in as from from any anywhere from you know the minute you're home from hospital some doulas don't start till again a few weeks later potentially if um, the family have sort of hit problems and so we go in um, and We really are um, anything you want us to be. The whole point being that that postnatal period is as happy and as calm um, as it possibly can be. Um, We want parents to feel heard. We want um, them to feel nourished, rested, um, supported, you know, loved. We want to be their advocate. We want to signpost uh, if, they're, if they've got any worries or concerns, give them the latest evidence-based information. Um, so very often, the first thing I will always do when I go into a client is I say, right, would you like a cup of tea or would you like, you know, a drink? Um, and very often, just that one sort of symbolic act opens up a whole can of worms and, you know, you can just sit down and it's probably the first time that day that the mum's been able to sort of take a big deep breath, maybe pass baby to me if she wants, or if not, that's absolutely fine, um, but just talk to somebody. And quite often clients say to me, you're my companion, and I really look forward to you coming because it's someone to talk to. Um, and it's amazing the sort of subjects that crop up, um, relationship issues, um, you know, is this poo, you know, was, was baby's poo, was this color this morning, is that normal? Um, notice baby's a bit gassy, what do you think? Um, they've got this rash, you know. Um, so we don't give medical advice. That's the, the number one. Um, but we know where to signpost to if we're concerned. Um, so it's practical support as well. So, um, we can cook. We can do lighthouse work. We can run errands. Um, some doulas look after, um, siblings. Um, we can bring baby. If mum's resting, we can bring baby to mum so that she can feed. So it's really just making sure that that village that we used to have all those years ago that now no longer exists because we all live so far apart from one another, um, that 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 village is still there as much as possible, that we form part of that um, because it's such an overwhelming time, isn't it? Mm.
1: I think I'd want a doula even though I haven't had children. Imagine just having somebody that comes wow. around and does all those nice things. It's like, yeah, I'll, I'll take, I'll have a doula because it sounds amazing. Someone can make a cup of tea, sit down, have a chat, make dinner. It's like, wow.
2: Well, apparently, I, I just found this out a few weeks ago, but apparently, there are death doulas as well, um, okay. and okay. and I'm not sure whether this is a thing, but someone did mention to me that there are life doulas, which which would do exactly that. Claire, they'd come yeah. in um I might be looking into it Lou you never know yeah you should
1: (laughs) you've kind of sold it but I can see you know I think that whole idea of someone being there at really crucial time in someone's Mm. you know whether it's first baby or second third baby whatever it might be having that person there that is their advocate and I think so many families now don't have that village around them. They don't have that support network. And I imagine having that person who is primarily there for like mom and baby or parents and baby, it's like, wow, what a lovely feeling to have and have the support and what an amazing thing to be able to do as well. Because I can imagine it's a huge kind of moment for you in what you do when you think that you're making a difference to someone in that real kind of newborn fog probably because it is quite a a big moment regardless of how many children you've had, isn't it? Mm -hmm.
2: Absolutely. And I feel that um, sometimes being a little bit sort of a step away. So, you know, I'm not granny. I'm not um, auntie. I'm not the best friend. You know, I am completely new in all of this really I mean obviously I'd, I'd like to get to know clients for as long as possible before they have their baby but in reality I only meet them a month or two before their, their the is here um so it's quite um crucial to when you step into that role you've got to build those bridges really quite quickly um and and as I say it, I think being a step away is 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 healthy in a lot of ways because they feel they can really offload to you. Um but it's also a real it can be it's a real responsibility as well, you know, because they're looking to you um to answer these questions, um navigate this situation with them that is just so overwhelming with um hormones and worries and concerns and you're exhausted and you know it so it is it's a real there there are times where it is really overwhelming and particularly if you're going to more than one client in a day which probably isn't ideal really but i have had to do that you know Mm -hmm. you you really have to take care of yourself as well because you take a lot on your shoulders Mm. um so it does involve a lot of, sort of self-care as well, but absolutely it is so, so rewarding and a real privilege. You know, I mean, I've I've held babies before their grandparents have even held them, you know, and it, I, I sit there and I think I'm so lucky and it's so special as well because I am in contact with, well, I, I, from what I can think, pretty much all of the families that, well, yeah, all of the families that I've been for, I'm still in contact with, which is just lovely. And often they have you back, you know, when it's second, second baby, third baby, you know.
1: How long does a doula typically
2: stay with a family for? So, every doula is different. Some doulas um, are very sort of set on the fact that they just do the first six weeks. Okay. Um, If you're a birth and a postnatal doula, um, from the way I understand it, they'll do the birth and then they'll come for sort of one, maximum two visits, um... It really depends on that individual doula and that's another thing that's amazing about being a doula is you get to set your own boundaries and um, you know you are in your you are your own business um, I like that freedom that comes with it um, you know but there might be certain aspects of the job that uh, you know, a doula would recognise that isn't their strength. For example, breastfeeding support. A doula might not think they might recognise that that's not an area that they're as confident in as they might be. Three step rewind, where you know you're helping a parent debrief from the birth and get over the trauma. So every doula has their strengths um, and can recognise you know areas that they need to then signpost to other professionals. Whereas I um, always like to follow the family and the family's needs and, you know, fit in where as best I can, given the fact that I might have other clients on, on at the same time. Um, most of the families I've worked with, it's been up until they've started nursery um, or they've moved away. Um, every every family has been so different. But yeah, that's typically felt like it's been around about nine months. So you really, really get... Yeah. Now, I don't know many... I, I don't know many doulas that do it for that long, um, locally, certainly. And I do think that partly because of my Norland training, that's where the two kind of, you know, because um, I start implementing play and, you know, different activities for the children and, you know, for the babies. And, um, and I love all that. I love all that. So, you know, the educational side comes through. Um, and then we've got introducing solids, you know. So, um, yeah, I, I, my biggest drive is to do as much as I can for that family. And um, I will fit in as much as I can uh, with them. Um, and I don't like to have... So So other doulas sort of might say that they will only do uh, a minimum of three hours with a family at a time. Whereas I say to people, if you just want me for an hour, that's fine. If you want me for eight hours, that's fine if I can do it. Because I think the last thing you want when you've just had a baby and you're sore and you're exhausted and you're hormonal is someone in your house when you don't want them, when you don't need them and you don't want them. Um, So I always say, I will take your lead. So yeah, for me, that's, that's a big part of the job.
0: So what is the difference then between a doula and a maternity nurse?
2: So... The maternity nurse will focus solely on the baby, um, and typically, as I understand it, will sort of try and set them into um, a routine as much as possible for the parents. Um, and they will take the baby, and um, if mum is breastfeeding, then they'll bring baby to, uh, to mum to feed uh, at intervals throughout the night. Um, or you know, if mum you know require if mum wants a break, then uh, a bottle might be given um whereas a doula is much more about the family unit as a whole so you know ensuring that both parents are, are happy um and yeah and really sort of um it's not just focus on the baby and baby care it's emotional um practical um support and that, and as I say that signposting to other professionals um and having those resources we always talk about a doula toolkit so we have a toolkit of you know all these different professionals um, and organizations that we can signpost to but obviously we use our experience as well and every every doula is so different i mean when you talk different doulas their backgrounds are incredible some have come from you know hr and they've had a baby and they've just thought oh my god i don't want to go back to that now i just want to all i want to do is help uh, you know parents birth their babies um so it's really varied and it's all about finding the right fit with that person as well again because it's such a personal situation and again because you know you're vulnerable very vulnerable you might be sat there in your pajamas you know um feeling really really uh sore and emotional the last thing you want again is someone in your house that you just don't have a bond with or it's got to be the right fit so that's key as well
0: so people talk about the fourth trimester, don't they? Yes. Yeah. As being that kind of first few weeks with your newborn baby. I I have to say, until Claire obviously told me about it, um, I hadn't really heard of that. So is that something that you look at with families and kind of try to, or, or is it a very still very personal? Or you know, how how does that those how do those first few weeks look?
2: Yeah, so when I teach um, my antenatal uh, course, which is, um, I teach it alongside a private midwife, and she does labour and birth, and then I do the postnatal um, period. And um, actually, when I had my own children, um, you know, being, being a Norlander, um, I thought, oh, that, that's going to be a doddle, you know, of course, I'm going to be, I was more worried about their lack of sleep, to be honest, and giving birth, but you know, giving birth to them than the actual practical care. Um, and then when, when I had them and, um, you know, they would be up for two hours in the middle of the night at, you know, a couple of weeks old, wide awake. I thought I'd, I completely blamed myself. I thought it was me. When, um, when I had my children and they would be awake at kind of, um, two till four in the morning, I couldn't understand why my babies weren't fitting to what the book said. Um, because I thought that... You know the best way to have a child that would sleep long term was to get them into a routine from as early as possible to self soothe um I was being completely honest you know I was scared of cuddling them too much I distinctly remember saying to my husband you've got to put him down now you've got to put him down we, we, we're cuddling him too much you know I've petrified um and I also didn't know about the first tri- fourth trimester um uh, back then and it was only through um contacting the Organizations like the Breastfeeding Network, um, that I started to understand normal newborn behavior and that my expectations were way off. And I had a really big shock, you know. Um, And there was always that, always that niggle in the back of my mind that, are you sure this is right? Are you sure what they're telling me is correct? Because, or am I going to end up in, you know, a whole heap of trouble? You know, a year or two down the line when I've got a baby that still needs to be rocked to sleep. Um, and so, yeah, so they started talking to me about this fourth trimester concept. And, uh, and as I say, I still talk about it now. It's a big part of what I teach in antenatal classes because I don't want parents to go through the fear and the worry and, and, and stress that I went through. Because I think, you know, the, the parts of parenting like changing a nappy. Um, And, you know, not deciphering cries because, you know, I don't think any of us can really decipher cries very easily. But, you know, the the practical care, um, setting up a cot, setting up a nursery, that kind of thing, I I knew would come confidently and and, um, I'd be fine with. But what about those poor parents that had never done any of that before, let alone then trying to navigate this baby who wouldn't, doesn't want to be put down, who's crying for periods in the daytime, you know. Um, so I really wanted to ex- want to explain to people, I think if you're more informed beforehand, you stand yourself a much better stead of having a less stressful postnatal period. So we talk about the fact that humans don't gestate for as long as other mammals, Um, and the fact that a a lesser part of their adult brain is developed um, when they're born and therefore that they require a lot more support um, than other mammals and that, um, you know, therefore it's completely normal for them to want to be carried um, a lot and to be skin to skin, um, yeah, and to to not want to be put down and apart from me, really. Um, and it's normal to be, want to be fed around the clock, you know? Um, and also the signs and, um, you know, red flags we might be looking at if something isn't quite right as well. And I think the, the more equipped you are, um, the slightly easier it, it can be. It alleviates some stress, doesn't it?
0: I love that explanation because my twins didn't read the book either was, <laughs> when you said that I was just like but you you kind of think why is everybody not told this mm-hmm. you know why is this not a kind of national curriculum mm-hmm. kind of thing you know this is something every new parent should know they should not feel like very much like you it was like no you mustn't cuddle them because mm-hmm. if you cuddle them my goodness, mm-hmm. they're never going to sleep on their own, you know, and all of those things. But you explaining it like that in the whole kind of actually they haven't been just gesta- mm-hmm. you know, the gestation period is much less. You know, they haven't developed got as much of a developed brain. That c- makes complete sense. Mm-hmm. And it's something that, yeah, definitely people, more people need to have to, the books need to say it. You know, actually. they shouldn't be saying do this this by rote and what have you because it's not
2: right the other thing I always talk about as well alongside the fourth trimester stuff is um you know the developing brain so I explain sort of in simple terms that there's three parts to a child's brain um and the fact that there's the downstairs primitive brain which is responsible for things like breathing and heart rate uh fight or flight that kind of thing and then the middle brain, uh, which is the emotional brain, so responsible for um, feelings like joy, fear, anger, sadness. And then the upstairs brain, which is responsible for logic, problem solving and empathy. And um, it's really interesting to note that that mid emotional brain is controlled by the upstairs thinking brain. But the thinking brain isn't fully developed until the age of 25, and so, you know, when we're reading these books that are telling us to leave babies to cry and, you know, they'll ha- otherwise they'll have you wrapped around their little finger and they've got to learn. And when you actually break it down and think, okay, if my baby's in pain or is, or my toddler's upset about something or worried about something, um, you know, if they haven't got that ability to, to problem solve and think logically and empathetically, uh, they are looking to us to, help them solve that um and and that's our role um and and it also explains a lot why you know a lot of the teenagers have um might appear to kind of be quite selfish and you know you hear people say oh my teenager's acting like such a you know a toddler a a brat but actually it's just that that part of the brain isn't fully developed yet um so you know i think that's I, I get a real light bulb moment from people when I explain that in my po- in my antenatal sessions because they just they can't believe that and as soon as they know that it really changes their um, views on responsive parenting attachment parenting you know because I, I do get a few people kind of going oh that's not for me and then when I explain about how the way the brain works and how the, 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 the way the brain's developing very quickly they, they sort of change their stance on it a little bit but I think we've
1: also, you know, it's we've learned so much. We understand a lot more now about kind of the emotional needs of babies and all of those sorts of things, don't we? And I think it's that, like you say, the just gest- the gestation. They, you know, I was reading something that ultimately we should, you know, give birth one after eighteen months, if we wow. were like any other mammal, because ultimately. Our babies come out so vulnerable and so needy to us, unlike Mm. most other mammals. Most other, you know, they will be able to move at least. Some might not have, you know, it takes a while for sight and things like that, but they have kind of survival instincts, but they can be kind of more independent. Um, The only reason we don't is because they would never actually be able to birth an 18, you know, a baby at 18 month gestation. Mm. And so when we go you're missing the point that our babies are so vulnerable. They are relying on us Mm. 100% for everything, for all their Mm. needs to be met. And no wonder they're in survival mode. And the minute you move away from them or the minute they are, they're they're ultimately there in their fight flight free. You know, I need to be fed. Mm. I need my basic needs met and I'm going to get them. And whether it's, you know, how I get it, if you're there and you're giving those, you know, signals to those babies, you're giving those cuddles, they don't have the need to kind of call for them or seek them because they're there. And I think it's mm-hmm. it's just going, they're so tiny and they're so vulnerable, just, you know, you can, of course, put things in place. I, it's not saying, you know, you don't have to do those things and you can't put little things in place to support those mm-hmm. babies, in you know creating healthy little habits and routines to the day and all those, but this whole kind of they'll have you wrapped around their little finger. It's like that—that's the mm. idea. That's what they're meant to do.
0: Yeah, and is—is is it not also connected with um, kind of the mother's well-being as well, mm-hmm. and the and the father's well-being? To actually not give yourself such a hard time, because that's one of the things we wanted to talk to you about as well, Lou, is, you know, how do you help the parents look after themselves in those very early days? Because, you know, kind of, it's pretty tough, isn't it, to, you know, that that getting used to this new little person who, like Claire said, is completely 100% reliant on you for everything
2: Absolutely. And I do think that that's sort of where the sticking point comes because you can see people, well, and people say to me, you know, I get, I get that, you know, I, I understand the attachment and, you know, I, I love my baby and I want, I'm enjoying the cuddles and, you know, and I, I understand the fact that, you know, they need to sleep, sleep on their back because it, you know, is, um, you know, lowers the risk of SIDS and, then they then but then they get sort of that stuck in that kind of but then they don't sleep as much you know and and they're awake all the time and they're awake through the night because I put them on the back and you know it's not necessarily advised now that I swaddle them and so they they but I don't want to give them a dummy and you know and they're constantly battling um with these thoughts because because as well they're they're exhausted and they will do anything they can to get um you know, some sleep. So it's that constant battle. And that's where, um, you know, the role of the doula is, is so pivotal because, um, my answer always to that is, um, don't be afraid to seek help because that's how that's survival at the end of the day, you know, yeah, we've got to be there for our babies, but we've also got to really look after ourselves because, You know you can't fill from an empty cup so you know you've really really got to focus on yourself as much as the baby and i think often in the 21st century we forget to do that um so you know it's all about uh finding your tribe i always say as well you know finding like-minded people there's no good having people you know that you follow on instagram or social media that make you feel rubbish about yourself or you know they're it's all it's picture perfect because believe you me it isn't um so it's finding your tribe um it's you know making sure that you eat a a well-balanced diet as much as possible but again you know i mean i'm 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 real i'm really one for taking a vicky sponge or some brownies to my clients because you know i know (laughs) they really appreciate that um and i think it's really important to give them that pick-me-up and that treat of course but also you know making sure that they are eating a balanced diet as well because again you've got to really you know you've got to look after yourself um and you know, trying to encourage some fresh air every day um and you know as i say resting um delegating jobs as well and having a gatekeeper so again your doula can be your gatekeeper um or you know a relative but just trying to limit visitors as much as possible Um, and delegate jobs. So, you know, who's going to be the one to take the bins out? Who's going to be the one to walk the dog? Who's doing the nursery run today? Um, And actually, that's where a postnatal plan comes in really, really useful. And again, this would be, you know, something we discuss in um, an antenatal session. Because again, this helps alleviate stress Um, once the baby's here because you've got enough on your plate but it's just starting to think about who's going to do those different jobs what's most important to you so what's what are your triggers you know is it that um when you wake up in the morning the one thing that is a real bugbear to you is that the dirty dishes are left from dinner the night before you know it's communicating that with your partner and say that really bugs me can we just have a thing where when I come down with the baby once once I've had the baby when I come down you know we've at least got the kitchen clear from the night before? Um, Or, you know, can your job be to take the bins out on Wednesday morning on bin day? Um, So, yeah, delegating jobs so it don't feel like it's all on you um, is really important. It's also
1: delegating them and thinking about them before this all really happens, isn't it? Because actually when you're in it... Exactly when we're tired we all know and hormonal and all those sorts of things every little thing can be a lot so if you know that you've already got triggers Absolutely. and they're not sorted even the other stuff is then even more of a you know a thing and i think i haven't had children myself but have maternity nurse so I had the children kind of babies 24/7 and my thing has always been i need to have a shower in the morning mm-hmm. like that's my kind of non-negotiable, someone needs to have mm. baby for even half an hour so I can have a shower on my own. And if I can't, then baby will come in in a bouncy chair in the... but I have to yeah. because that's what starts my day. And that's mm-hmm. how I start my day in an okay, you know, kind of frame of mind if we've had a really rough night and all of those sorts of things. And I think it's being really upfront and honest about those things to go, that's what I need yeah, in order to be able to give anything else. And and actually having that thought process way before, because I think probably um, a lot of friends, I will say, went into parenthood very naive to what parenthood was going to be. I think yeah. from our training and having worked with families, I think we probably know a little bit more about what, comes with having children so there's a little bit more information but if you've never been around children and you suddenly have Mm. this new baby so I think everyone planned for the birth everyone talked about their birth what it was going to be like and everything else and everyone's like as long as I've got the equipment you know we've got this we've got that we've bought high chairs we've bought cots and you're thinking you're not going to use any of that for a while like that's going to be completely pointless but what you're going to need is a really comfy you know cushions you are going to need people around you to help in those moments and I think it's going into it you're never going to be fully prepared for it because it comes with so many emotions and everything else but I think it's so such a big thing and it's so life-changing and relationship changing and it can you know be quite the shock to the family and I think Mm -hmm. having like you say plans and everything else and being honest and open about those sorts of things is hugely vital for it to not cause
2: yeah, and and also also talking about your views on feeding. So you know, again, if you don't discuss that beforehand, you could end up in a situation potentially where um, you know you're really enjoying the breastfeeding, and your partner is feeling really neglected and not enjoying it at all. Um, if you've had that discussion beforehand, um, it's opening those lines of communication and starting that ball rolling. So when I talk about, in my antenatal classes, doing a postnatal plan, um, you know, I, I see that just as important as creating a, a, a birth, you know, some birth preferences, as we like to call them. Um, so, yeah, I'd always talk about, you know, um, what things help me um, help me remind myself that I need to, to take care of myself, um, what things do I like doing, um, a sort of steps to self-care what are our preferences on feeding um nappies um baby wearing um that kind of thing researching groups that you can go to um, ahead of the baby coming you know so you've got that support network set up and also contact details of things like you know your gp uh, your local lactation consultant your local breastfeeding counselor your local sling library um you know because those are the sorts of things when um you know you're in potentially in dire straits and you're struggling just to have them there written down um you know can, can just alleviate that stress mm-hmm.
0: hmm. and Lou how important is it to do that birth debrief to those first few weeks or months
2: <laughs> yeah so again completely depends on on uh each individual, some people just don't want to talk about it. Um, they're just not ready. And that's fine, obviously. Um, and others, they'll, they'll talk to you about it, you know, every time you see them. Um, so again, and, and that's where we talk about that the, the, the power of the cup of tea, because um, it sort of just starts that conversation rolling and relaxes the, the situation Quite quickly, you can sort of um, decipher whether this person's going to need sort of some extra support with their feelings. Is there any trauma there? Um, so yeah, there's this um, this concept called three step rewind, which helps um, alleviate trauma. Um, so I'd signpost to a three step rewind practitioner if I felt, uh, and you know, the parents felt that that was something that they that would be worthwhile um but often just talking about it uh with someone who is completely separate from the situation but might also have um have had experience of of these things experience of these things before um and can say you know well i wonder if that might have been because of this or i read you know um sometimes when that happens that can lead (laughs) to such and such you know um And offering to go and do some um, research for the family um, on their behalf to try and sort of just make sense of what happened if they're feeling a little bit confused. And um, I I sort of find with parents as well, and I was certainly the same myself, um, I had real blank areas of the birth. So um, bits that I just couldn't fill in and I really needed to, to kind of park it and move on. Um, So I actually went to... Um, a hospital um, birthing I can't remember what they called it it was sort of a service that the, um, the hospital offered that you could go and sit with a midwife and discuss the birth and as a prof- to sit with a professional they could then sort of answer any questions that you had so I might say you know look this happened to me I, I remember this happened to me and then all of a sudden before I knew it, I was on delivery suite you know what happened can you fill in the gaps for me so you know so y- yeah you might have just areas that you just feel um are a little bit patchy and you just want to mm-hmm. um have it a little bit clearer in your head um, so that you can can move on because it's a huge thing, isn't it? You know, when you when you give birth to a baby, it's a momentous occasion. Um, and very often, yeah, people will, will want to talk to you about it a number of times. Mm-hmm.
0: To well, I think even, you know, years on, you do still reflect on it. Absolutely. It's Absolutely. I mean, it's huge, yeah. And I, I, I think that it kind of does influence you in more ways than you realize, which is weird, isn't it? But it really does. You, you it, It's a huge life-changing moment, really. Well, it was interesting because
2: when I did my doula course, um, my doula trainer actually said to me, so we do this, uh, the very first part of the training is called Peeling the Onion, and the idea being that you can't support, uh, like I was saying earlier, you can't support somebody else fully if you're not healed yourself from your own experiences because you find yourself then sort of putting your own experiences in, onto them and it might impact the way you support them. Um, and I very quickly realized um, I had a lot of layers to peel off <laughs> of my onion. Um, and my teacher actually sat and listened to me um, about... Sort of the first six to nine months, really, after I'd given birth to my firstborn, and she turned around and she said to me, "Lou, you had you had PTSD after that. There's no doubt about it." And and I was, you know, it made me feel. I I burst into tears um, when I heard that. But I also sort of felt like it was it was over Zoom. But I wanted to give her a hug because finally I'd kind of had acknowledgement of how I'd been feeling. Because I felt like when I went to the chat with the midwife about Philly and those gaps, it was very sort of, this happened because of this, this happened because of that, that happened because of that, and they were doing that to save your life, you know, and there was no sympathy or empathy there, or... Very factual. Very factual. Very factual. uh, No emotional support whatsoever. And actually, I came out of it and thought, I'm not sure really whether that was the right thing to do or not. But it was definitely the right thing to do, but... Yeah, the doula course really healed me, actually, in, in that sense. I'm still not sure that I'm ready yet to be a birth doula, but never say never. Mm-hmm. And that shows the power of talking about it, doesn't it?
0: It does. So just to kind of finish up, Lou, can you just give us your three tips, if you can, narrow them down <laughs> for, <laughs> for new parents? What would be your top three things that you would say to new parents?
2: So, um, number one is, um, don't be afraid to ask for help. Um, and that's coming from someone who, you know, I had my Norland hat on and thought, oh my God, to the outside world, I've got to look like I know what I'm doing and I've got, uh, you know, everything together, all my ducks in a row, a happy baby that sleeps. Um, and to the outside world, I need, yeah, I need to show that everything's fine and dandy and it really wasn't. Um, So definitely don't be afraid to seek help because um, like we said earlier, you can't fill for an empty cup and there's no prizes for doing this alone. Um, And actually you are giving more to yourself and your baby by getting as much support as you possibly can. There's absolutely no shame in that. Um, Number two would be create that postnatal plan. Um, I think we've talked enough about, you know, the importance of, of that and the value it can bring. And number three is um a piece of advice that my husband was given from a work colleague just before I gave birth to George, our firstborn um, and that was um yeah, raising children is it comes in phases um there are good good phases and there are really tough phases, but each phase is short, and you know and and each nothing lasts forever, and when you're in the thick of it you know your brighter days are ahead and it's completely normal for it to just feel like a complete roller coaster that's a mm-hmm. really
0: good piece of advice do you know someone said something very similar to me and it's something that I still say to pet people who've had babies see it in chunks it's a really really be- much better way to look at it isn't it absolutely yeah yeah um can you just tell us just where people can find you and find maybe a bit more information about being a doula as well yeah, absolutely. So um,
2: if people want to find a, a, a doula that's local to them, that's sort of trained with a reputable organization, um, they would need to go to um, Doula UK, which is an organization. Um, and I can be found at uh, www.doula-loo.com. And um, I've also written a book which talks about... Um, well, is hopefully educates parents in everything that um i wish i'd known when i had georgia neve because it would have really helped massively and taken a lot of stress off had i known what uh, what i've put in the book so the book is called the parent prep book um so it's available on waterstones and amazon as well and world of books um and yeah, I self-published because the idea is that I want it to be as evidence-based as possible and to have the latest research. So I want to be able to sort of go in and edit it, hopefully on an annual basis, mm-hmm. Um But yeah, I really did design it because I didn't want others to go through, you know, the kind of fog and the stress that I went through. And of course, that's not to alleviate it completely because there will always be tricky times, of course. But again, it's just equipping yourself with as much knowledge as possible and knowing where those reputable sources are because let's face it, Google is a minefield, isn't it? And we just don't know who to trust. So it's just focusing on, you know, the facts, the research, um, and where to find further help, basically.
0: Oh, blooming heck. I think we could have chatted for ages, but um, thank you. Pleasure. Thank you for having me.
1: There's always been kind of that talk about doulas, but I think that development in the doula world, because it was always about kind of having a doula at the birth. And I think now Mm. knowing that there's a whole, you know, and it's so kind of flexible and adaptable to a family, I think it's a really interesting kind of option for a lot of families um to be able to consider and yeah I think it was great to have all that information for people so thank you and you clearly love what you do Lou and I'm sure you're amazing oh I
2: do I do a bit too much probably sometimes I'm not sure whether it's healthy or not
1: (laughs) you gotta love (laughs) what you do hey you absolutely do (laughs) (laughs) everything for today thanks for listening if there's something you'd like us to talk about we'd love you to get in touch and let us know find us on facebook and instagram at bespoke family or head to our website the links are in our show notes
0: make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss the next episode and please give us a rating or review if you like what you hear we're Beck and claire and we'll be back soon with another episode of newborn to team and everything in between see you then